Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Was the best of the podcast the ever. Best. Hey! We're, we're, we're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of, be of the highest good for all present and those listening, so mote it be. The circle is cast. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Welcome to our community, Stan Nun, the 98th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. You can call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. I meet. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. Are we ready to be housekept? Yes, let's do housekeeping. Right. Housekeeping. We have two new kittens. We love you, kittens. One new cat, JT. We love you, JT. And one new anonymous hunter. And then we do have just some basic announcements. Sundays, a Zoom meeting for All Pride and anyone else who wants to show up randomly. And then now, starting on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern for about an hour, we have a book club. And this, we are starting it with How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kandi. Yep. And we had a great meeting last week. It is a Zoom meeting. So the, the link to that meeting is on our free things and cat page or in the group. And we'd love anybody who wants to come in and discuss that book with us. And this week, we will be discussing chapter one. There so, you go. There you go. Hey, anything else? No, I think that's it. We are, we are house kept. Welcome to our guest. Thank so, you for having me. I appreciate it. First, tell me who you are and what you do. <laughs> My name is Stanley Nunn. Uh, I am also known as Nishan in the Pagan community. I am the guiding priest of Pagan Pathways Temple. I also sit on the board of Pagan Pathways Temple. I have been a member of the community for 15 or 20 years or so, depending on you know when I started or when you know when you count when I started. Uh, <laughs> And I'm just, I, I kind of like all things pagan and I'm looking to, you know, do my part to make our community better. That's all. How did you get into paganism? What was your trajectory there? I was actually a devout Christian for a very long time until I was about 17 years old. And I had some questions about who I am and what I am and how I think. And I was sitting in Word of Faith Christian Center on Nine Mile and in, in, uh, Evergreen. And I was questioning everything. And so I, I asked, I said, well, I'm going to go explore. I need to find out if these things in my head are, you know, what I should pursue or not. And I began to study religion, various religions, including Catholicism and various Christian sects, as well as uh, Islam and Judaism and uh, a lot of esoteric belief systems, voodoo and hoodoo. So there are a lot of, I began to explore to kind of find out what was out there. And as I did, I sort of stumbled upon it through an uncorrected proof of Scott Cunningham's Green Magic book. And as I did, I started reading that and it resonated quickly with, you know, how I see things and how I believe the universe works. And from there, it was just, well, I got involved. My ex-wife and I got involved with a group called the Circle of Twelve Oaks, where we started to learn a little bit about, you know, the craft and whatnot. And then from there, 
we got involved with a group of individuals who wanted to form a coven and we formed the Oak Moon Coven. And then uh, that's where I began to actually learn uh, about the craft. Sorry about the noise in the back room. That's my, that's my six-year-old stealing cookies. So. <laughs> Now's the time to do it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Now's the time to steal cookies. <laughs> so, so yeah, from there, it's just, it was just a matter of, um, I got involved in a couple of organizations and saw a need and started to do my part. That's all. That's awesome. very cool. By the way, one of our uh, listeners just said we support the theft of cookies. <laughs> so, so now you did say you're involved with Pagan Pathways, is that correct? Yes. Uh, I am the, the guiding priest at Pagan Pathways Temple. And well, I was there since its inception. Okay. Um, and it was it was designed to to basically provide a spiritual home for pagans to go to year round. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we need more of those. Yeah. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, the entire idea for, for the temple came from a, an encounter I had with a, a young lady at a, a, a Dollar Tree. I was in line, you know, checking out, buying a bunch of stuff. And she had her pen out. And I said, oh, oh, you're pagan too. And she said, oh, no, I'm sorry. And tried to put it away. I'm like, no, I'm pagan too. And I pulled mine out. And she goes, oh, well, I thought I was the only one. And I'm like, no, there's thousands of us. <laughs> she's like, I've never met another pagan. And I'm like, how does that happen? And uh, as it turned out, I wanted to tell her somewhere to go you know, where she could meet other pagans, but there was nowhere that I knew where you could meet regularly, uh, where you could just walk in and say, hi, I'm pagan. Can I be introduced to other pagans? And the next event was like two and a half, three months away. So I don't know whatever happened to her, but it was from that encounter that I realized that there are pagans who, who don't get to meet and uh, have a community with other pagans. You're, you're lucky if you can find a group that you can resonate with and, you know, be able to worship with. And that's because we don't have a, a place year round where people can go and, and get questions answered or at least get guidance towards where they want to go. So mm -hmm. I, that became my mission. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty interesting because I know that like uh, there's a place in Ann Arbor, Solanox runs, and then we have Hearth and Grove Fellowship here in Kalamazoo. But I know a lot of states anything really. And like not all of these places have dedicated locations. And that is something Pagan Pathways has. Yes, we have a we have a storefront temple in Madison Heights, John R. Just before Twelve Mile, we try to stay open most of most days. So we're usually open five or six days a week, and we you know we usually close on Mondays, but that's usually when the choir choir practices and whatnot. You know, that's we, we try to we try to make sure that at least during the evenings, it's from about four o'clock until about you know ten or eleven, depending that the temple's open and there's either a temple keeper there who's sitting to answer questions, or there's a class or a ritual or something going on during that time frame. That's very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, is that is Pagan Pathways something that you foresee trying to grow in other areas or? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, my, my ideal situation would be where there's a, a Pagan Pathways Temple Church in every state, in every major city, where any pagan from any place can find a spiritual home to go to year-round to practice and to explore and learn about uh, the various pagan paths. That's very cool. That would be incredibly cool, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming it's open to all paths? All paths that, are, that, are, that do not wish to harm others. We have a very strict rule about you're not allowed to do horrible things to other people and call it a faith. So if, if you're about promoting community, about doing good things, we're not going to judge your, your particular path, even if it's a left-hand path. That's not what we judge. It's not for us to judge. But if you're in there saying, yeah, we're, we're just about to hurt people and, and do terrible things, then yeah, we can't be involved in that. Fair enough. Yep, makes sense. So the reason why we had Stan is that he is a person of color who's, you know, known in the pagan community, especially here in Michigan. And 
we wanted to talk about how do we get more. How do we make this community more inviting to people of color? Right. Right. And talk about the fact that there is systemic racism within the pagan yeah. community itself. Right. So that is our questioning is, you know, what steps do we need to take to root that out of our community and make the pagan community an anti-racist community? There's a lot of steps, you know, that need to be taken. And there's a, a degree, I would say, of different actions that would need to be taken, uh, starting with, you know, having the conversation. A lot of people don't want to have the conversation because they don't believe it's true. They're like, oh, no, no one in our community could be that way. I'm, you know, we're uh, pro-LGBTQ and, and we're pro this and we're pro that. And then you start having these conversations with people. And I've had conversations over the course of the last, I'll say, three weeks or so that for me were disappointing for, um, with some people in our community. I've had friends who were shocked by the level of open racism that they found amongst people in our community. Not, you know, all people, but the fact that they didn't expect to see it at all, mm -hmm. um, you know, was, was shocking to them that they found people that they respected who hold views that, you know, things like if you just obey the police, they wouldn't shoot you. So obviously, if they're shooting black people, it's because black people are doing something wrong, factually inaccurate. Right. Um, there are some who are who say that, well, we've come a long way, so you know where we are now is fine. <laughs> but you know, what, what more do you want? There are some who've said uh, to friends and family of theirs, yeah, but you know, black people kill black people, so that means that police killing them is okay. Oh my gosh. These are all very familiar arguments, I'll say that. Yeah. I, I don't understand that logic or that th those ideas. It's it's deeper than yeah, like is, a logical thought. You and I talked about this the other day. It's true. People don't go looking for data and base their beliefs on that data. Yeah. People acquire their beliefs, they develop those, and then they look for data that they believe supports their beliefs. Right. They and and they reject information that doesn't support. That's how people form their beliefs. Right. It's not it, like they're not people. The brain does not make evidence-based belief decisions. Right. 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 And that is something that in that book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, that is something that he talks about is this concept of racist ideology, basically, that we all grow up with it. And it is on each one of us to realize that we have racist thinking and then dismantle it. That would require for someone to, to actually admit certain things about themselves. And most people are not willing to do that. Exactly. So how do we get to that point where, where people can admit that about themselves? Well, the, the first thing would have to be the conversation to actually say out loud, this is happening in our community. We've had white supremacists come into the Pagan Pathways Temple community group and try to promote the idea that race is a real thing and that we are genetically different based off of our skin color, which is inaccurate scientifically. We've had, you know, them promote eugenics ideas even in our community group that, you know, we've had to fight back against because we promote this idea of humaning where you are acting as if you are an, a human and that others are humans as well first before you put any other labels on people. So that has to happen first. Second, you have to deal with those individuals who do not recognize their behavior as racist at all. They just, well, this is how I, you know, grew up and this is how I, you know, this is what I learned. So that makes it okay. That's just how I am. I've heard that a number of times. And then we have to identify things that are, I guess, the best way to put it, 
these are red flags that demonstrate a potentially racist ideology. When you are more willing to fight over a flag than you are for the life of an individual, that should give you a red flag that there's something going on here that puts more value on the idea or concept of Southern pride than on a person's life. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then there's the overt racism that has to be openly challenged. And that comes from individuals, especially white individuals who have people in their circle or their family groups who are, who hold these ideologies to challenge them openly, even though they, there, there are consequences for people who've had to disown family members and had to uh, have confrontations with family members and people that they love because of their, their ideology. So we've had several of our listeners who have started separate Facebook accounts just so they don't have to deal with their family anymore. Um, over you know how they believe about Black Lives Matter, what they believe about paganism, the LGBTQA. And so they've just moved on and started another account on Facebook and basically are ignoring the one that has their legal name on it. Um, uh, don't tell Facebook that. Yeah, in fact, Finn is telling us that you were making the, the point about you know people fighting about the flag and putting more value on, on a flag. And he's having to deal with that in his own family. You know, and so do I. I have a sister and brother-in-law who will stand up and, and say that it's not patriotic if you kneel during, during the, the national, national anthem. anthem. You know, and it's like you're missing the fucking point. The whole idea of the whole, the protesting, you know, by kneeling and how big of an issue it was for people was shocking to me that, that you know, so, so let me get this straight. We're going to be upset about the kneeling, okay, but not address the actual problem that he's kneeling about. Okay, I, exactly. I, I found that fascinating. So when you ask people, okay, you're upset about the kneeling, so why don't we fix the problem so he doesn't have to kneel anymore? Yeah, okay. Uh, like, no, I don't really... The news cycle never even talked about why he was kneeling, right? No. <laughs> All of the outrage was about the fact that he was. Yeah. The funny thing is, if we had addressed it when Colin was kneeling, then we probably wouldn't be where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I, to be honest, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the, the, the Colin was kneeling and what he did was extraordinarily brave. Yes. Uh, because it cost him his career yep. and, and the, the job that he loved. But I think that people don't listen when you ask. Yeah. They don't listen when you ask. And as long as he was kneeling, they could vilify him and turn him into the poster child for everything that was wrong with the country and so on and so forth. It wasn't until people got so angry that we took to the streets in mass mm -hmm. and, and it scared the powers that be that wait, 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 there's thousands of people around the world taking to the streets to protest this behavior. We can't keep doing this or we're going to have a serious problem. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's what got their attention. And yeah. it's amazing to me that four years after, is it four years uh, ago that Colin Kaepernick started the know. kneeling? Roughly, and then, yeah. and, um, and now, just, you know, within the last week, was it Roger Goodell was saying, we're sorry, yeah. we're, we're, we were wrong, you know? And yeah. it's like, yeah. Too late. So here's my concern. We've seen this happen before. Yeah. And there have not been enduring systemic changes and yeah. i'm already yeah. seeing the news cycle moving on and right. i'm already seeing people saying that they're tired yeah. and like i get it but we don't have time for everyone to be tired yeah. this right. is a relay right 
Yeah, and it's because Baltimore didn't change anything. Mm -hmm. St. Louis didn't change anything. Ferguson. Yeah, Ferguson. Ferguson didn't change anything. Uh, yeah. You know, go back. Soma didn't change anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so time for us to like. We cannot let this be just another incident, right? Mm -hmm. Where everyone gets mad and feels righteous for weeks, and then mm -hmm. yeah. nothing happens. Well, and to be honest, that has that has everything to do with us. I've caught a little a little bit of flack because I've said things like, you know, it's great that people are getting tired, but I can't afford to get tired because uh, just this morning, my son was approached by the police at 6 a.m. while sitting at a bus stop for nothing, asking, where are you going? He's like, I'm taking a bus to work. And although, you know, it, it was it was a non-incident, fortunately, but any incident like that could end up with my son murdered. Okay, mm -hmm. because if the, the key thing that I would like to keep reminding people of is that that keeps occurring is that these people are unarmed. These people do not have weapons. They are being shot in the back. They're being shot without actually, you know, confronting the police. Mm -hmm. So it's the fact that unarmed people are being murdered. And if any of us were to murder an unarmed person, we're going to prison for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it wouldn't, there wouldn't even be a question. We murdered an armed person. We'd be going to prison for the rest of our life. Exactly, <laughs> unless you can prove they were a, a, a immediate threat to your safety, no. you or the safety of others. You cannot do what's being done, and the, and it's being done with such frivolity, you know, on the parts of some people. And the fact, the problem isn't just the training of the police; it's the 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 complacency of the masses that are saying things like, "I'm tired because this has been going on for so long." Well, guess what? That is the that is black life in this country it, we don't get to be tired because it's all day every day you have to watch out for your children you have to have the talk you have to get involved in in these things or else you're you're basically saying it's okay to kill my child so i i can't afford to get tired because i have children you know from 6 to 21 okay that are in jeopardy every day in this country so we can go back to the if we go back to the same the status quo that I'm basically saying that I'm okay with whatever the police decide to do to my child. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that. Right. And how, how do you and we and all of us together, all of those of us who have been taking to the streets or to social media or whatever, how do we get this across to people that your children's lives are in danger, your life is in danger, other, you know, that this is not just a fluke for the black community, but that this yeah. is everyday, everyday life. life. Yeah. And you were telling us some of the responses you've heard from people saying, oh, that, that was 50 years ago. That's, that's Martin Luther King fixed that, you know. Obama ended racism. You didn't know that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, yeah. So how do we help you get that message across? Well, it's a two-stage thing that has to happen. First and foremost, we have to not be placated by the gestures. Because there's going to be, there's a number of gestures that are taking place. You know, we're going to remove Aunt Jemima from the syrup. We're going to go ahead and take some flags down. We're going to move some statues around. We're going to go ahead and, and we're going to all, we're going to have all these police officers kneel in front of the crowd. That's awesome. Does not change a single law, does not change a single policy for how police, uh, policing is done. There's a video that I posted on my, um, on my Facebook that I think every single person should watch. And if you go to YouTube and you search for cop warrior training or police warrior training, that shows how they're being trained, how they're being trained to react towards people who they consider, quote unquote, the enemy. And they're, they're being trained to automatically shoot people who they consider to be the enemy. 
the sheepdog mentality or whatever, where they believe they're the, the guardians of the populace against the, quote, wolves. Right. And the wolves are anyone who does not look white. And that's where the problem comes in. That, that sort of information is what people need to see that this is what's actually going on. So uh, if they can see that, then they will understand why the police are reacting the way that they are. There's a, a video of a, a healthcare worker. He was dealing with a mentally ill young man who had a toy who had wandered away and the police were surrounding him because they thought it was a weapon. It was a black man who was laying on the ground with, with on his back with his hands in the air and the police still shot him in the leg. And he asked the cop, why did you shoot me? And the cop said, I don't know. And ultimately, just recently, that cop was acquitted of any charges because it's, it's extraordinarily difficult, according to the law and by policy, to actually convict a police officer of doing anything wrong unless it's above and beyond clear he had malice or intent to do harm. Mm-hmm. That was above and beyond the need for the situation. If he accidentally shoots you, it's kind of, that's what happened. And you get to learn to live with the limp in your leg. Um, there's, there's all kinds of policies as far as police departments that are in place that are designed to protect them from lawsuits and prosecution um, like qualified immunity. It keeps them from being uh, personally sued for taking a life. Those sorts of things are protections that are great if you're a cop, but for everybody else who watches them kill a black man who's unarmed and then sees no prosecution and they have no financial recourse to sue them, it's infuriating to watch. So first people need to be brought up to speed on what's actually happening, okay? And then second, there need to be confrontations because there are people who believe that there is a quote unquote race war getting ready to start. And they believe that all white people are on their side. And there needs to be a confrontation with these individuals that, that are in our circle to let them know you are not welcome here. You are not welcome in, you know, with this ideology in our presence. That's the best thing you can do for us. I mean, we, we need to know who our allies are and you know that we're not standing alone out here because that's what they want us to believe is that well that's just black people being angry again you know black people are always mad about something i heard that one last week so a gentleman who got upset with me because he was talking about the shootings in chicago it's like are you out outraged every time someone gets shot in chicago i'm like no i'm not and they're like well you know well why are you upset because the police are killing black people i'm like because the people who are shooting each other in chicago are gangbangers killing each other it's terrible it's ongoing get rid of the poverty, you get rid of all the violence. People opportunities to leave the ghetto and give people opportunities to turn the ghetto into a place where that's actually positive to live, then guess what? You get rid of all the drugs, you get rid of all the crime, but the crime is a byproduct of the poverty that was inflicted upon people. You can't compare the two problems because then now you're saying, well, we've created this violent environment that was done intentionally. And people argue with that. And I say, well, we can talk about Tulsa, we can, you know, and you know, the burning of Black Wall Street. And that was only one of about three to 400 riots that went across the country during that time where Black communities were just destroyed. And, you know, purposeful poverty was inflicted upon uh, inner city Black communities across the country. And people act as if, well, Black people just like being poor. And that's not the case. This is a continued ongoing terrorist activity that's been perpetrated upon these communities over, you know, the last 400 years. And people act as if, well, then, you know, pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, we did that. And then you burned the, the town down and killed 300 people and put them in a mass grave somewhere. Even I know that like the, the federal highway administration, the guy who built the highways for the United States actually built them in a way to separate and segregate communities. Um, so that black people would be on the poor side of town and white people would be on the rich side of town. And they 
did it fucking on purpose. Mm-hmm. It drives me bananas that even the thing that like allows commerce to happen in our country is something that segregates us. You don't have to legislate racism for it to still be part of the system. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, people t- people talk about you know the Jim Crow laws as if they're you know somehow gone. They they are gone in practice as far as being legal legal on the books, but the the ideas are still there. They're still present. Like most people don't understand why they gutted the voter protection laws on the federal level. That was done because southern states were consistently skewing their uh, voting laws and voting rules against people of color in the South. So the federal government said that you any changes you make, you have to submit to the government first, and we will approve whether or not those things are, are you know racially biased. Trump got rid of that on purpose. These are things that are that are systematic. These are part of how the country is run that is designed to keep people of color in what they consider to be their place. And that place is poor, disenfranchised, stuck in a cycle of lack of education and lack of opportunity and poverty. And I was also reading that then, in addition, because you, know, you have poor white people who are, are basically being pitted against. Yes, the sort of racist whiteness was created. Exactly. So that rich people separated the working class and pitted them against each other. Yeah. So that we would fight each other instead of fighting, you know, the yeah. rich people. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's, that is an old, old uh, social structure. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to do a couple of things. So you, you start with a division by class, which is, you know, the rich versus the poor. And then you, what you do is you elevate some of the poor to what you consider middle class so that they're satisfied that they're not poor and they have someone to look down upon. And then you pit the middle class against the poor. But when that doesn't work because they're, they're, there's so many and they're so, they're, there's not enough division between them because they're, they're now closer together, then you have to find another way to divide them. And you do that by race. You do that by culture. And, and these, are, these are social structures designed to separate the masses of people so that we don't all unify and in one voice say, this is not okay. And we're not going to stand for it anymore. The, the one thing that the 1% fear more than anything else is the 99% mm. singing in one voice. The moment we do that, it terrifies them, which is why you're seeing an offer of some changes in order to quiet the masses. Because the moment we unify in, that, in our thinking and we decide all of you have to go, they're gone. Right. At that point, we're in revolutionary France. Yeah. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many emails I've received from various companies like JCPenney, Rose, Amazon, all the, you know, all these trying to placate people, trying to placate saying, you know, Black Lives Matter and this is Mm -hmm. what we're doing in our company and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) We we gave everybody Friday off for Juneteenth because, you know, we thought it was important. (laughs) No, you didn't. Many, many years ago, instead of like when all this crap was going down. Mm-hmm. Well, that, honestly, honestly, that's our fault. We didn't bring it to Trump sooner enough so he could make it famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. When he said that, I was like, really? Yeah, that got it. Yes, he did. He did say that. <laughs> our tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of wonderful body code. These boats and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses. With fragrant scents and sparkling mica, you can also find a selection of rollerball fragrances with dozens of options available. You're sure to find something that you will like from Wonderful Body Co's collection. This week, Ode is recommending desert flowers with notes of cedar, sage, coriander, and sweet marjoram. 
find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Wonderful Body Co. And as Agent Time is always reminding me, there is a coupon code for Wonderful Body Co. It is 3PAAC30 for 30% off. That's 3PAC30 for 30% off. There you go. <laughs> High five for having a fucking radio voice for a second. <laughs> That's three back thirty for thirty percent off. Listen, I grew up with you. It's the one voice we've all picked. That's right. That's right. Oh my goodness. All right. So you talked on a kind of a grand scale, right? Um, society level. Society level. How can we help just in the pagan community? You yeah. know, for our listeners, who probably I would say are. 90% white would be my guess. I have no idea. We actually don't I get demographics. Yeah, we don't get demographics, but so I'm, I'm really guessing know. how do we let them know what they can do to help fix this issue in their own pagan community or even in their solitary practices? Here's what I want to avoid. <laughs> there are a lot of people who, who get really upset about racial appropriation. And don't get me wrong, I, I think that that's a problem in some cases. It's been an issue in the pagan community recently people are very angry about that. Things that I don't personally understand why they're angry, because someone needs to inform people of what's going on. And if you're not traveling in those circles, you don't know until someone brings it to you. And if that happen person happens to be white, they're not appropriating, they're simply trying to inform. So I believe in the transfer of information above all else. So I think at first, we should put on a little bit thicker skin about how things are done, first and foremost. And secondly, let's start having those conversations about where people can feel free to actually bring these subjects up without making it a, you know, us versus them, or let's attack all white people, or let's vilify all black people, or let's, let's get into a culture war, but rather than um, having a conversation. Because most people that I know were completely unaware of the issue of the incident in Tulsa, or, or that there were other riots that went along with it. So that means there's a, par a major part of African American culture in this country that people just don't know about. And I was very proud about it in school, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Van Robinson, who's one of our listeners, he grew up in Oklahoma, and the burning and massacre of Black Wall Street was not even taught in their schools. Yeah, they've been they've been doing things, a lot of school books, most people are unaware, come from Texas. Mm -hmm. um, their major their major printing presses down there that, that produced these, most of the school books uh, for our country. And they were actually caught trying to rewrite history by saying that slavery was actually an immigration of Black people. Seriously? Um, yes. They were trying to rewrite that and they were caught and, and told you can't do that, which is why they only, they have a Black History Month and then they breeze over a few things and then they say, we, well, we taught it and that's about it. The truth is, if you delve deeper into the history of what was actually done to Black culture from our, our enslavement till today, you'll find that it's been, it hasn't been a disjointed, discontinuous action. It's been a continued, sustained effort uh, to, to disenfranchise people of color and to vilify people of color and to create some of the situations that we see now. That information is not in the masses. Most people are completely unaware. And so therefore it fuels a lot of the biases that we see and well, I mean, if we're talking about the pagan culture, then specifically in our faiths, you'll see that there are people who believe that, well, this is a European faith, even though a good number of the traditions that have been Americanized come from hoodoo or voodoo, which are ultimately African Afrocentric philosophies. And to be honest, it doesn't matter. What matters is the fact that there are people in this, in this community who do not feel that they can have that conversation because they don't know enough about 
Black culture or what modern life as a Black person is in this country. So they, they don't want to have that difficult conversation. And that's the conversation that needs to happen. There are no, there's no such thing as, a, you know, all Black people are innocent. There's no such thing as all white people are, villif- are villains. It's, it's, we're just people. And we need to start having conversations about what's happening so that we can basically talk about it in a way that's comfortable. Or even if it's not comfortable, a way that's genuine. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are places in this state that I cannot go camping. There are places in this state that I cannot go alone. There was uh, an incident with some, uh, when I worked for the Michigan Renaissance Festival about 20 years ago, where we were, uh, we had an event that we were supposed to go to up in Howell. And a bunch of people bailed on us because we were going to go as a group. And I didn't think it would be a big deal. And the only people who were left that were going were the three of us. And it turned out we were getting ready to go and we had to stop. And we said, we can't go. And we're like, why? It's like, because the gay guy, the Jew, and the black guy go to Howell for, for a beer <laughs> festival. That was just a bad joke ready to happen. The uncomfortable feeling that we have is not based in illusion. There's a story that I, I, I tell often about a friend of mine and I, we were going up to the Renaissance Festival and we passed the exit and we ended up going to this gas station. And I was laying down in the car and I wasn't really, you know, I was half asleep, you know, not really paying attention. And he was having trouble at the pump. And so he was going back and forth inside and out trying to get the pump to work. And there were a group of white kids sitting on, you know, these cars, about 10 or 15 of them or so. And they were, you know, teen and young adults and they were watching him go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you could see them talking and working themselves up to build up the courage to do something. And then the last time he came out, about six or seven of them started walking up behind him like they were going to do something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I got out and stood, and, and stood up and I'm twice his size easily. And so they were, oh, wait, there's, oh, wait, there's two of them. <laughs> and they turned around and walked away. Mm-hmm. But it's the, it's the fact that that is not an unusual occurrence in this country. And when we start having this conversation in our community, we have to understand that's where a lot of Black people are coming from. We don't feel safe. Okay. And when we start having the conversation, like we started to have in, I mean, I think the, 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 the post that started it in the Pagan Pathways Temple group was one of our people posted about, we're all humans. Let's be human first. And then came the conversation of why we're not all human. And that by saying that we're all one, we're basically discounting the beauty of our various races and our various cultures. And then it devolved into a eugenics conversation about race and, and how genetically we're different. And the idea of promoting those differences is not accidental. They can make arguments that sound convincing to other people. Well, and that's the whole idea. The whole idea is to create an argument that makes sense to the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you can, if you can get a few people to believe what you're saying by throwing some facts around, well, then, yeah, you can, you can convince them that, well, it's not being racist to have Southern pride. It's not, no, that's not, that's not what it is. We're not being racist. We just have pride in our flag, even though the, the entire premise for the flag was treason by states who promoted slavery. Yep. Okay. Right. And so also, they, it lasted like three years or something. Just under four, but yeah. Yeah. But that's the point is because that, that way you can say you're not being racist. You're just having pride. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, you know, and that's that's really what it's about. It's about calling it something else, so that it doesn't seem like a bad thing, and so people can be comfortable with their idea of that. You know, I'm uncomfortable with people who don't look like me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's I, you know, that's that's a real thing. I don't, you know, when people are you know feel that way, they want someone who's going to make them feel better about it. They don't want to feel uncomfortable, and calling someone a racist is you know obviously the worst thing you could ever do, and so they don't want to recognize that in themselves. So they come up with a way to deflect. 
one of the ones that got that got my attention this week was an individual who posted a meme about slavery and said, well, blaming all white people for slavery is just BS because slavery started from the Ivory Coast and you started talking about pirates from a thousand years ago and all of these other people were involved in slave and they were slavery and they were black. So therefore white slavery was just BS. It's, it's nothing different than all of that other stuff. And, you know, in other words, dismiss everything that's happened in this country because they're just arguing over nothing. Mm. And, and that's, that's the general idea now was to basically say that black people are just angry for the sake of being black and for the sake of being angry. Yeah. The, the one that I hate the most is somebody bringing up, well, there were Irish slaves. And I was like, well, no. And they promote that all the time. I see memes about it all the time. Well, there were these Irish slaves. I'm like, no. Like, just fucking stop. I, I would I would suggest this, and this is something that I, I did with um, my oldest son, uh, Dominic. He uh, when he was about eleven or twelve years old, we went down to the Charles H. Dwight Museum for African American History in uh, downtown Detroit, and we took him, my mother and I, and we took him to on the tour of the Black Experience, and it starts in the slaves uh, slave pens mm-hmm. in Africa, and it takes you from there to the ship into the bowels of the ship with sounds and you know uh, of what was going on on the ship at the time up to the bow of the ship where they would whip and kill and sometimes throw overboard and they would they would be in under the ship in the bow of the ship with the dead rotting with them disease ridden and a good you know a third of them didn't survive the trip from Africa to the Americas and whenever, even after slavery was outlawed by other nations, if they got caught, they would just simply chain them to a, a boulder and shuffle them all overboard. So there are monuments to those slaves who never made it because they were dumped overboard and murdered. But we took them on this tour because it's profound. It goes from there all the way up to Motown into modern day. But it's it's an experience. And he, at 11, he started crying uncontrollably because he, he, the, the horror of it hit him as we were going through it. And it was a terrifying thing. But he needs to know that this is real. It's not something that you saw on television. It's not something you read in a book. It's a real thing that happened to real people and is still happening in a much less open sense. But now it's the, the judicial system where now if they have, uh, there was a story with uh, a gentleman who was 15 years old. He and a friend decided to rob a place. There was a confrontation with police. The police killed his friend. He was charged with burglary and grand larceny. And then because the police killed his friend in the commission of that felony, in their state, if, if someone dies during the commission of a felony, no matter who kills them, you get charged with their murder. Wow. So now this 15-year-old young man is going is facing 65 years in prison. He was charged with yeah. well, felony murder, and it is only ever used to get people who did not actually commit murders charged with murder. Yeah. That's what the cop in Atlanta is being charged with felony murder. Yeah. Yeah. We're yep. shooting that that gentleman in the back. Yeah. Ray Sharp. Well, that that's been the big argument that I've had over the course of the last week is that about that shooting. Well, he he punched a cop. Like, okay, I can show you about a hundred videos of white people punching cops and they didn't get shot. And he, he you know, he, well he grabbed the taser. I'm like, it's still a non-lethal weapon. Well, you could die from a taser. And I said, well, you can't have it both ways. Either A, a taser is lethal and cops shouldn't be using them as a first response uh, to a threat, or they're non-lethal and he was of no real threat to the cop and he got shot in the back while fleeing. Yeah. They had his car, they had his license. It's not like they they couldn't get him later. They they killed him because they could. Yeah. And, 
And that's sort of the point is that when people are still arguing the semantics of that, yeah. it's because they believe somewhere in their head mm -hmm. that he deserved to die. Yeah. They believe that because George Floyd had a rap sheet, he deserved to die. And that's the idea that's being promoted is that if you have ever committed a crime, which because of the environment, a lot of these people grew up in, that's mm -hmm. almost impossible to avoid. Okay. Having at least a one or two encounters with the police. Okay. If you've had any sort of thing on your record, then somehow you deserve to die. I had someone argue the Sandra Bland case, even because the video just came out recently where she turned without signaling and ended up getting arrested and was dead within 24 hours while in police custody. Yeah. And yet somehow, well, if she hadn't have done that turn, then she wouldn't be dead. And I'm like, what? I'm, I'm not joking. People are, are having these arguments are making these cases that if black people didn't commit crimes, they wouldn't die at the hands of police. I'm caught between these two impulses. Just admit you just want to see dead black people and don't allow people to admit that in public. I don't believe that's it, though. I don't believe that, that these people who are making these cases want to see dead black people. They don't want to see black people at all. They want black people to be quiet, mm, yeah. to be unnoticed, and to do their jobs. Okay, that's what they want. They don't want them in their neighborhoods. They don't want to have to deal with them. They don't want to have to deal with the issue of them being other in their world. Their world is calm and they like it and they don't want it being disrupted by the idea of having to deal with the very painful issue of the treatment of black people in this country because of the, the, the sense of, you know, of, of guilt, the, the sense of, you know, of challenge to their rightness, a challenge to their, their sovereignty. They don't want that. And so they'd rather just, you know, just shut up, stop talking about it. That's why people are getting tired and want to quit. Yeah. Because they just want invisible black people. Right. You can play basketball and dance, but other than that, just be quiet. You can't allow them to ignore you. Yeah. If, if, the, 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 if you're quiet, they're going to ignore you and they're going to ignore your, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, but your original question was, what can this community do? The community should start with taking a really good look at who is in our community and what they're actually promoting. Mm -hmm. uh, tell the truth about what they're promoting. I don't want to judge any particular path. And I, I believe that white people should be proud of their heritage and where they come from and where their lineage takes them. That's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. My issue comes when that lineage tends to lean towards sovereignty or I am somehow superior because of. It's okay. You can say heathenry. We know. <laughs> not all heathens. It's not all heathens and it's not all, it's not Odinists and whatnot. It's, it's, it's people who take that and go completely you know, to, to the, the white supremacist handbook with it. Yeah. Um, they, they take it and the, to mean that because I have, I have these great traits and I follow these great laws and I, you know, and I believe in myself and I believe in my strength that this obviously means I'm better than everyone else. Yeah. And that's where it becomes a problem. Right. Um, it's, it's heathenry. It's fine if we understand it for what it is and to, and keep it at a level where we recognize the, the worth of other people as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you have to go because you yeah. have a son who's here in just a second. But do you have any closing thoughts before you head off? Well, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate being asked. Uh, these are these are these are topics that are important towards our overall growth and unity as a community. We need to be talking to one another on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, we need to be having these conversations on a regular basis so that we recognize first that we're human and that we are one family and that um, as pagans we are all following you know, a, a, a rebellious path and we need to be more unified than other groups may need to be because of the fact that we're still outside the norm. So we have every reason to be on each other's side. 
So I think these conversations are, are good conversations to have, and I appreciate you guys inviting me to have it. Thank, thank you for you. coming yeah, on. Thank, thank you for you. coming on. I know that uh, Saturday night was not an easy thing for right. me, so yeah. I appreciate you giving us the time. And maybe sometime you can come back and we can have a, a you know more discussion about what concrete steps that we can do within the pagan community to make people of color feel more comfortable and welcome and safe. I think that would be great. I think that's a, a good conversation to have. Uh, okay. But that's, that's a long conversation to have. Yeah. Think, to be honest, um, that needs to be done in person. Um, yeah. I think I think that needs to be done face to face so that people can uh, understand where, where it's coming from and that it's coming from a place of love first. Fair enough. Fair thank enough. You. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is Phoenix LeFay, the author of What is Remembered Lives, and you are listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Our tiger, our Darren, is offering intuitive readings and divination with over a decade of experience working with spirit, tarot, runes, and tea leaves. Make an appointment for a reading with our Darren on Facebook at our Darren's Auguries or find them at Instagram.com forward slash our Darren's Auguries. And you want to spell Auguries? A-U-G-U-R-I-E-S. I want to recommend a book. Okay. It is called Shades of Faith minority voices in paganism and it's edited by crystal blanton it's actually been out since 2011 okay mm -hmm. but uh so it's now almost 10 years old but it's a good book to pick up it'll give you a good synopsis of how minorities in paganism feel mm -hmm. and kind of what they're going through so it's a it's a good reference thing and that is available on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. On Kindle? You can get it on Kindle for five ninety nine. Oh, wow. yep. that's a good price. That's what I like to hear. Yep. That's one of the honestly. That's one of the things that's kind of nice when you find those gems from you know a few years back. Mm -hmm. They're going to be a more affordable price, right? You know, whether you find it on Kindle or or in a a bargain books or something like that. Yep. Uh, Finn is suggesting a podcast that hits a lot of these topics called Creative Tension. So Ooh, go look at okay, yeah. the Creative Tension podcast. There you Excellent. go. Excellent. Yeah, because these are really important conversations for us to have, which is why I was saying I'd really love to have Dan come back so we can talk about what do we as the pagan right. community need to do to help people of color feel safe? Because that seemed to be the biggest thing mm -hmm. that was coming out to me in, in his conversation with us is that Black people don't feel safe. And why should they? Right. He's, yeah. You know, he's telling us what his reality is what the reality is for his children mm -hmm. yeah. and for the rest of the black community and let's be clear just it's, don't see let's be clear it's not just the police yeah right right it's not exactly. just the police yeah a silent and majority so, is useless yeah right yep and like oh do you used to walk to the bus stop all the time yep and stand at a bus stop going to and from work yep ever get asked by the police while you were there not a single time in yep. my two or three years of walking every day. to the bus stop every day to go to school, downtown, and then to go to work. Mm -hmm. I was never approached by the police. In fact, once I called the 911 because there was a, a person having a medical emergency. And right. I had no concern about calling the police and asking them if I needed to stay with him or if he should get on my bus or what. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was never approached by a police officer, ever. Yeah. No, and I've never had that problem. I know that Jackson never had that problem when he was walking, you yeah. know, from back and forth from school when he was in Muskegon, yep. which is a, an area that is considered dangerous, quote mm -hmm. unquote. Quote unquote, yes. You know, and I have Although a, Jackson never had an issue. Jackson no. yeah. never had an issue, but Jackson is also pretty tough looking. Dude. Yeah. But yeah, no, I've never had that happen to me. 
but I know just from listening to Stan and to other people that mm-hmm. it has happened routinely to them. Yeah. Like like the person who who said that Sandra Bland would still be alive if she just she hadn't had, if she had used her turn, turn signal. signal yeah. Do you know how many times I have forgotten to use a turn signal? I or, never use a turn signal. I'm the, or have the made first a, person yeah, in the world for that. Be, yeah. You know, or we've all done that. We've all made a turn or made some kind of a. a I haven't, but only because I don't drive. You don't drive. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, people who drive, you know, we run a light mm-hmm. or yeah. something like that. We don't have to worry about getting arrested and sent to prison and then mm-hmm. something happened to us in yes. prison. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, dying in police, dying custody. In police custody. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just that that's just not our yeah. reality. Squeaky says, I feel guilty if I forget to use my turn signal, but I don't think I'm going to die because exactly. Of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I think that's something that not just as, you know, an overall human being thing that we need to but you know we do have issues within the pagan community i know that after convocation there were people i don't know about the people of color but i know that there were lgbtq people who were being mistreated and who were overhearing things and felt unwelcome and so if if the lgbtq community felt unwelcome i'm sure that people of color felt unwelcome as well That is where we need to make the changes in our own community. Yeah. And maybe it means ostracizing some people from exactly. our community, and yeah. that's okay. Do you, so so there's the concept of, um, God, what's it called? A missing stare. So a missing stare is a person in your community that everyone knows has X problem. Everyone knows that they're a racist, broken stare, Melkor says, thank you. Um, everyone knows that they're a racist or that they're homophobic or that they are a sexual harasser or whatever. Everyone in your community knows that this person has this issue. Right. Mm-hmm. But you don't do anything about it because you all know, so it's not a problem, right? You just avoid that issue with this person. Right. But then anyone new who approaches your community doesn't know about the broken stare. Right. They're going to run afoul of the broken stare and get hurt by it. Right. Right? What you should be doing is, replacing is fixing the your fucking stare. stare. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe we need to rethink our decision to not teach since... No, 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 I, I, don't no, so. no I think that's just step one. Okay. Yep, that's just yep. Step I one. think that's just a step in that in that process. Mm-hmm. But there, I think there's more things that we can do. And maybe yeah. that's, you know, we have conversations with some of the people who run these events mm-hmm. that are hard. Yeah. And that, you know, may mean we never speak at that event again exactly. because of mm-hmm. how we do it. But ultimately the conversations need to be had with the people who run the events because they're the ones who book the people who come and speak because ultimately us saying like well we're just not going to teach this year and we're going to ask them to bring people of color on instead that's easy yeah right Right. that's like the the minimum amount of effort we can put in that's right. right yep so yeah and then we i think we actively and i would hope i include our our listeners in this as well when you know we find ways to bring in people of color, make them feel welcome, help them feel safe in maybe that maybe it comes down to we become part of the staff who helps run these things. I don't know. I don't, right. I'm not saying us individually, but I'm saying people who are listening. Maybe. <laughs> Cause Oh, just had the thought of, Oh my God, please don't volunteer me for that. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of speaking <laughs> broadly as if our listeners, those, right. those who might be, willing to work as a volunteer or part of you know creating once you know once events are going on again right 
but even these online events, you know, make sure that topics include people of color and yep. things that are important to the pagan community as a whole that involves all of us. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. The other thing I want to just point out, right, is that people of color don't owe us their time. No, that's right. true. And there's a problem that you see with liberal white Americans. With liberal white Americans, yes. Mm-hmm. Where we tend to say, oh, to black people, and we did it in this episode, where we go to black people and we say, okay, well, tell us what we should be doing. Yeah. Instead right. of That's doing that work ourselves. ourselves. That's true. That's true. And I think part of it is we are trying to do that work. We are, you know, like, for instance, I'm, I'm we're, we're reading the book on how to be an anti-racist, you know, we're trying to, I think part of it is educating ourselves to begin with. Yes. Right. Uh, my, my thing is that frequently with liberal white Americans, mm-hmm. there is a tendency to ask black people to educate us. Right. Instead of educating ourselves. Okay. Do you see the difference? Yes, I do see the difference. So and that's what I'm saying is that we, we are making, we are making an attempt to educate ourselves. So what you're saying is we need to educate ourselves on how to make people feel welcome in the pagan community. Yes. Yeah. I'm saying you don't just volunteer a random person of color to teach a class, right? Like right, you go right. and find oh, a yeah. person right, of color yep. who wants to teach a class Correct. and you, vo- you ask them, is this something if, you if want they to want you to exactly. help elevate that yep. position? But I, I don't want this to become a situation where we end up accidentally, right? Like harassing black people. Yeah, right. That's yep. true, to true. provide us with essentially. To and if solve, they don't, then I will right, just exactly. say we're not interested in. Please invite somebody of color. A person to, of color. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. At, at, so where that tends to come from, I think, is white guilt. Right. right? We as white people feel bad about racism and about having racist ideologies like embedded in our brains Mm -hmm. we feel bad about that it makes us feel bad and so we're looking for a solution to that and there's a problem with white liberal americans where to salve Mm -hmm. white guilt to make ourselves feel better we reach out to black people and ask them to make us feel better yeah right right we aren't really looking for things we can do we aren't, or we're looking for easy things we can do that mm-hmm. won't cost us anything. Right. Mm-hmm. That will just make us feel better so that we can then stop thinking about it. And so I want to be really careful that we don't fall into that trap. Well, I know that my questions to Stan tonight were very, were coming from a very genuine Yeah, no, place. I know that. I'm just saying generally. Yeah. I'm not saying you specifically. I know I'm that. I'm saying generally. <laughs> I know that, but I think a lot of people though are, we are perhaps articulating it incorrectly or we are unintentionally burdening our black neighbors yes. with our good intentions. Right. But I, you know. uh, Squeaky says they've got enough to deal with. They don't need us asking them to teach us. We need to do their work ourselves. Agreed. My friend who is a librarian is very firm on this point. Don't go to black authors for a list of recommended reading. Find those books yourself. Exactly. The internet exists. It's very easy to find mm-hmm. these resources. Right? Right. right now, there's all kinds of lists on resources that you right. can find of what you yep. and, and things and, that you can do. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's Google Docs with, you know, like 75 or 100 anti-racist things that you, a white person, can do. Mm-hmm. So I just don't want this to become, because I've seen it happening. Right. I just don't want this to become another situation where white Americans say, okay, I've done the bare minimum. And now I feel better. And now I can stop thinking about it. Right. 
And right. I don't think this is something that we can stop thinking about. It's like what Stan was saying earlier, you know, his kid was getting harassed, just waiting for a bus. So he has a sense of urgency. All of Black America has this sense of urgency that it needs to keep momentum. Yeah. And so white Americans need to and it's harder for assist, white Americans assist in that. It is harder for white Americans because we don't feel that urgency. I know. Yeah. Which is why I keep bringing up, it doesn't really matter that you're tired. I know. And that's what I'm saying is we have to keep doing it. Yeah. Like, as you mentioned, this is a relay. Yeah. We have to be there to assist the people to continue going forward yeah. until we actually see reform and improvement in the situation. So I have a question. Is it really a relay or is it more like, like a marathon? Okay. The relay thing came to me from a friend of Val. Okay. That the tr the usual framing is it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Right. Right. A relay is like a marathon with multiple stages mm -hmm. where you get to pass off the torch to other people who are fresh. Right, but it's much shorter. Like there's like I the the only one I can think of is like an 800k, which is the longest marathon I know of. Mm -hmm. Um and relay relay that I can think of. And you know there's four people you pass at a time mm -hmm. and in, in a relay if we're playing out this whole thing this metaphor this metaphor, this metaphor. so it would be black person handed to black person handed to black person handed to black person right where on a marathon lots of people standing on the side cheering on the people who are doing the actual work helping them by giving them water that kind of stuff can it be a hybrid? Sure. <laughs> it's, it's certainly how about, how about the Olympic torch marathon? Um, is we need to be there and we need to not get tired and go, I'm going to go back and watch Netflix. And we also need not to lead. Yeah. That's the other thing. Sit right. back. Right. Shut, up. shut up. Shut and, up. Yeah. Get out yep. of the way. Yep. And let other people lead and be there and support. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So that's it. Uh, if you want to find it. us, you can Google us the number three pagans and a cat and everything will pop up that you need to know mm -hmm. other than that we're on a lot of stuff or yeah we're everywhere mm -hmm. you name so, it we're probably there and come and check out what i'm doing on patheos pagan and don't forget to visit with car on sundays at 2 a.m or 2 a.m 2 a.m holy <laughs> shit no 2 p.m work on mondays <laughs> 2 p.m on Ooh. zoom <laughs> And then, of course, I'm going to be doing the Facebook Live Guided Meditation at 8 a.m. Eastern on Monday, and then a Zoom meeting on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern to discuss how to be an anti-racist. Right. Awesome. Chapter one. All right. Yeah. All right. So this has been good. Mm -hmm. And start. happy yep. Father's Recording. Day to everybody else who is out there yes, listening. Yes, happy Father's Day to Carl. You guys be good, and we love you, and goodbye.